You're listening to Permission To, the podcast where we dive into the science and soul of owning your worthiness as a perfectly imperfect human being. I'm your host, Sam Jew, psychotherapist, positive psychology coach, mama to a beautiful five-year-old, Emily, and passionate advocate for living an inspired life. My aim is to show you that you have full permission to own your worthiness so that you can embrace your true nature and begin walking boldly toward your dreams. Let's dive in. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Permission 2. I am so excited because I am back. Um, For those of you who missed it, um, I have been on leave because I had a beautiful baby girl um, early in December. And I've had the beautiful Lucianne Lewis um, co-hosting permission to while I've been on leave. So I hope you've really loved those chats. There's still a couple more to come. But um, I just couldn't wait to reconnect with you all. And a lot of you were super keen to hear our birth story. And also I wanted to share... A little bit about how um, Frankie, my daughter's birth, was so different to Emily, my first daughter's birth. So, yeah, I just couldn't wait. So I decided to go ahead and jump on in. Um, I, um, yeah, just have missed connecting with you all and love doing this podcast so much. So it feels so exciting to be coming back now as a mum of two. Um, and to be sharing this episode with you. So this episode is really much more of a story rather than a learning piece. Uh, And I'm going to be sharing our birth story and how I navigated preparing for birth and postpartum to have a different experience this time around. Because as I will share with my daughter, uh, I had quite a traumatic birth and I found the postpartum period really tough. Um, and I knew that I wanted to have a different experience this time around. So yeah, that's what I'm going to be sharing today. But if you're not necessarily interested in birth stories, this episode is ultimately about self-trust, letting go of past experiences and being open to receiving support. So you might get something out of it, even if you're not someone who like loves, loves listening to birth stories. Um, that being said, I will be speaking about birth trauma, postpartum mental health issues and pregnancy loss. So if either of those things are not subjects that you would like to listen to, then please check out my previous episodes and I can't wait to see you next episode for more. Uh, and just a heads up, I have a feeling this episode is going to be a bit longer than my normal ones because I want to share a little bit about, yeah, my first birth and then my second birth and, um, yeah, just kind of explain a little bit my journey with, um, how, why I had to work so hard on trusting myself, um, this second time round. So yeah, maybe save this episode for when you've got a longer period of time or yeah, you, you could, you could break it up because I know a lot of you love how short my episodes are and that you can listen to it like, you know, in one, one car journey. Um, but I just, I didn't want to overstructure this one. I just want it, want to share it as a story and, um, I'll like reflect on the lessons as I go. 
Uh, I did think about breaking it up into, you know, a couple of episodes and having lots of structure, but I just thought, nah, I just want it to flow. So let's dive in and yeah, we we will see where the story takes us and what lessons I share as we go. So to start with, I'll just talk a little bit about Amelie's birth and our birth. Um, So my daughter is almost six years old. She was born, she was meant to be born at the family birth center, which is like kind of like having a home birth, but you're next to the hospital and you're kind of part of the hospital system still. So you've got that safety net. And we had a pretty like textbook, you know, normal pregnancy. Everything was really going really well. I was very educated. I knew that I wanted like a natural birth. I really had my heart set on a... Uh, water birth, um, a physiological labor. Uh, I had a doula. I had a really lovely doula. And I also went to like a, a hypnobirthing class. So I was very well prepared, I thought. <laughs> but we at 37 and a half weeks, I noticed that she wasn't moving, that she hadn't been moving much. Um, so we went to the hospital and I thought, oh, you're probably just being anxious, Sam. Like, I'm sure it's all fine. But they um, checked her out and they were like, oh, no, there's not like there was only like one less than one centimeter of amniotic fluid. Uh, She's not moving. Her heart rate's not great. So they were like, "Um, we need to get her out like you need to get induced tonight. So it wasn't like an emergency, like, okay, we need to get her out like right now. But it was like, you know, she's not, um, yeah, not safe in there. So you're going to have to be induced. Right. And obviously... I didn't really want to be induced. Um, I'd heard that it was really challenging, but I also knew that um, this wasn't like the case of like someone being kind of tricked into an induction when there wasn't medical, it wasn't medically necessary. This was actually medically necessary. Like I I knew that something was wrong. Um, I think intuitively I knew that um, my baby needed to, you know, um, get out sooner rather than later. So... Uh, I was admitted that night. I'm just going to use all the medical lingo and hopefully you know. If you know, you know. If you don't, you can always use Dr. Google, right? And just remember, I'm not a medical professional, so this is just all from my memory and from my heart. But, um, yeah, so basically with Amelie's birth, um, because my body was not at all ready, like my cervix was long and hard, um, my waters hadn't broken or anything. So it was like a full induction. They inserted a Foley's catheter into me and I had to sleep with that overnight, which was, um, yeah, a bit uncomfortable. Then they broke our waters manually the next day. And, um, they were like, gosh, there was no water there. Like I just had no amniotic fluid at all. Like, yeah, she obviously really needed to, to be born. And then they put the, um, is it Syntocin, you know, to actually bring on the induction on that afternoon, I think around like maybe two o'clock. And um, I was doing pretty well mentally at that stage. My doula was so amazing. She actually um, did like some kind of hypnosis meditation with me. And like she, I, she had me so relaxed that I fell asleep as they put the Syntocin into my body. So I was in a really, really good place. Um when labor started but anyone who's been induced will tell you like you just go from zero to 100 really really quickly 
Uh, oh, and yeah, obviously, by the way, sorry, skipping through things, but I wasn't allowed a birth at the family birth center because you're not allowed to when you're induced. And also I was so upset because I wasn't allowed to birth in water because they said that they needed to monitor Bub's heart rate and all of that. So I was very calm going into labor, but I was already pretty sad, pretty disappointed, um, pretty nervous about what an induction was going to be like. And I felt like um, I'm such a water baby and I just knew that being in water would be so supportive. So to have that taken away was was quite challenging. But yeah, we, we went into labor feeling quite calm and then yeah the contractions just started coming really really quickly um really intensely um and i was hooked up to the monitors to like monitor bub's heart rate and also to monitor my contractions and this is where things get a bit interesting because i was like in a lot of pain the contractions were coming really hard really fast and i was managing the pain i was using a thames machine I was going in the shower when the midwife would let me with the with the equipment, but I was finding it really, really challenging. Like I was finding the pain really intense. There was no break between contractions and all the hypnobirthing stuff that I'd studied. I found it really, really hard to use it with the induction because it was like it just came on so hard and fast. There was no build up. Uh, and, but the thing that was really, really hard about Emily's labor was that the midwife, I think she didn't want to be there. <laughs> she, unfortunately, I, you know, and I, I have a lot of empathy for her. She looked, she kind of arrived at sh- the shift, like looking like she didn't want to be there. She just had that energy. She was very, um, seemed to be burnt out. That's what I can assume. Um, she just wasn't a very warm person and um, I didn't get on very well with her, which is unusual. I, I normally like most people and get on with most people, but I kept going and hiding in the bathroom and telling Nick, my husband, that I didn't like her. Um, and what was really interesting was I was having these really intense contractions, but she kept the machine wasn't picking them up. Uh, the monitors. And so she kept saying to me, oh, you're not actually in labor. And then she kept saying to me, um, but baby's heart rate is um, changing. So the message that I was hearing while I was laboring was, you're not actually in labor. You're not actually having contractions yet. And baby's in distress. So in my head, I was starting to panic. I was like, okay, this isn't going well. Um, and also the, the story I told myself was, oh my God, Sam, you must be such a wuss. Like you are in so much pain and you're not even in labor yet. <laughs> like, uh, like she just didn't think that I was having contractions because the machine wasn't picking them up. And then I remember like the obstetrician only came in once the whole um, labor and she came in and she saw me having a contraction and she actually said to the midwife, this woman is having contractions. You need to stop staring at the equipment and actually listen to her because the equipment obviously wasn't working. And it was really interesting you know, for an obstetrician to give that feedback to a midwife. And it's so, it's so interesting retelling this story now because for so many years, like this part of the story would make me really emotional because I've realized the most distressing part of, of the birth of Emily's birth was this midwife telling me that I wasn't in labor when I was. Um, anyway, so I think I'd been laboring for like four hours. I yeah, had this mess voice in my head telling me that I wasn't actually in labor, like that 
wasn't having proper contractions and that baby was in distress. So I thought, well, this isn't going well. Like I'm just going to, I should just give up. Like maybe I'm going to have a C-section or I'm going to have an epidural because it's not working. Like that's what was going on in my head. And so I remember being in the shower, they hadn't examined me. I'd been laboring for about four hours. I hadn't checked, you know, how dilated I was. And I started screaming, I can't do this. I need an epidural. Like, yeah, I just want to go home. Like I just kind of lost my shit, so to speak. Uh, and my doula was like, cause she kind of thought I was going okay. I think on the outside, I looked like I was okay. But inside I felt like I was drowning. Yeah. So my, um, doula was like maybe we should check her maybe she's further along than we realize and so they checked me and they were like oh my gosh like you're like nine centimeters like the baby's gonna come you can push now kind of thing and then uh for the pushing stage of Emily's birth was actually probably the easiest stage because she was quite little and I think it was like 20 minutes of pushing and I, because I'd screamed for an epidural, I, I seriously wanted one, but it was too late. Um, so I had the air and the gas and I think I'm quite a sensitive person and I get high quite easily. So I was like chanting Om Mani Padme Om and just went into like this whole out of body experience for the pushing stage. And it's so interesting because when I went to India, I did like a 10 day silence retreat in McLeod Gunj and we learnt that chant and I hadn't said it in like, oh, maybe like four or five years and it just came out. So it was, that was really interesting. And then yeah, she was, Emily was born and, um, the, like placing her on my chest was just like, uh, such a beautiful moment. I'll always remember her eyes and the shape of her eyes on my chest. Um, yeah, my midwife <laughs> left without finishing the notes and my student, because I had this beautiful student midwife who I'm still friends with. And she actually missed out on the birth. Um, because when she called the ward, they thought that I wasn't actually making any progress and that I had ages um, so she arrived afterwards and I like, finished off my notes and everything. Um, and the, what we realized was, so Emily was only 2.5 kilos. So she was only on the second percentile, which is quite small. And I guess this is the other thing that scared me a bit about her birth was that I found out that we had, um, she had in uterine growth restriction. Basically she stopped growing. My placenta had like stopped working and you could see there was like a whole, um, out of like the three main arteries in the placenta, one of them had completely like calcified and wasn't working. So I think it was a bit of a shock going from like having like a pregnancy that had been going so well and so healthy to all of a sudden like, oh wow, like she's really little. Um, and I remember they took her away and like checked her out and everything, but we were so lucky. Like she was healthy. Everything was okay. It was just that she was quite underweight, especially if you think about like Nick and I are both tall, large humans. And, um, she was on like the 98th percentile for height, but only the second percentile for weight. So she was like very, very skinny little baby. Um, and yeah, that was just a bit of a shock. But we were allowed to go home the next day. I'm the worst patient in hospital. Like I just don't like being in hospital. And there are a lot of things about the way the hospital system 
is set up and this isn't about criticizing medical professionals because I know they all do their best with the resources they have. It's the actual system that I, I really um, don't find very person-centered or family-centered. So yeah, I got out of hospital as soon as I could. Um, and then, yeah, postpartum was really hard because I, like I'm talking about her birth okay now, but for years I couldn't talk about it without, you know, crying or feeling sick. And um, I just felt so sad about how her birth happened, particularly the way that I was treated by the midwife and the relationship that I had with the midwife. Um, because we were induced three weeks early, our main midwife was in New Zealand when, um, when Emily was born. So I had a really lovely relationship with the midwife, but she wasn't there. Um, but I think it was like, this is where the self-trust comes in. Cause I think the, the scariest part was that I lost contact with myself and my self-belief. Like, you know, I was having full blown contractions, but because the machine wasn't picking them up and because a midwife told me that I wasn't, I believed her over my own experience because it was my first birth. I didn't know what it was like, but I think if I had trusted myself more, it would have been less traumatic. Um, but yeah, the like I feel sad when I think about Emily, like the first couple of months with Emily, because I couldn't stop thinking about her birth. Like I was very traumatized by it. I would be like crying in the shower, just thinking about it all the time. And I think sometimes when you've had a birth where you feel so much grief and, and there's also so much trauma, it's really hard to actually be in the joy and the appreciation of your baby because your mind is so preoccupied with the birth. And um, so I like totally fell in love with Emily, but I was really um, distracted by trying to process what had happened and trying to make meaning of her birth. And a lot of other women might've been okay with that birth. And that's the other thing about trauma. It's like, um, it's all, it's about how we experience it. So, you know, two women could have the exact same births, but one of them interprets it in one way and one of them interprets it in another way. And, um, yeah, the way that I made meaning of it was, um, yeah, like that I was very disappointed and very distressed by the way Emily had been born. But I also, even at that time had this kind of sense that we had worked as a team, you know, that if I hadn't noticed that she wasn't moving, um, if I'd waited, you know, that maybe she wouldn't have been born so healthy. So I also kind of had this sense that we had worked as a team and um, that, you know, we had done a beautiful job together. The next challenge with Amelie um, and me, you know, and m me adjusting to motherhood was that because she was really underweight, we had a lot of issues with low milk supply. And so I had a lot of, um, you know, child health nurses and midwives like wanting me to get her weighed every day and telling me I didn't have enough milk and um, that I had to like feed her every two hours and then pump and then feed her with a straw and it was just like this really um, distressing cycle and Nick only had two weeks off so I remember he went back to work and Emily would be crying and I would be like having to choose between pump and follow this really strict feeding routine or like cuddling with her. And I have a lot of regret around how much stress there was around breastfeeding and milk supply. And then me also not connecting with her. And the way I've described it is, um, I felt like with Emily's birth, it was like, 
um, you know, when you get dumped by a wave and then just as you get up and you, um, you get your breath back and you're recovering and then you get dumped by another wave and then you get dumped by another wave. That was how I felt. Yeah. Motherhood the first time around for me, it felt like, you know, traumatic birth, boom, like just trying to get my head around that and recover from that. Oh, you've got breastfeeding issues and your baby's not growing quickly enough. Boom. Like, and yeah. And then, so yeah, it was a really, really, um, challenging. It was also like, obviously, you know, beautiful, joyful, like Emily's just like the most, um, <laughs> she was the most alert, um, like bay and baby and just so engaging with people. And like, there's a lot of joy there too. Um, but it was, it was really hard. And, um, I think that had a big part of me not being in a rush to have another baby. Like, um, it wasn't until Amelie turned three that I started to think about, you know, um, or oh, maybe I do want another baby, you know, like this is, this is like, I love being a mum now. Like it just, you know, for me, it got easier and easier and better and better. And I found ways to thrive in, in motherhood and, um, like focusing on my business was one of those <laughs> and finding dance classes. And yeah, I just found my way back to me and ended up really loving motherhood and, um, just seeing what an amazing human she was. Maybe you think, Oh, maybe I want to do this one more time. But then we, this is where, I guess the theme of this podcast around, um, I, I think from all these experiences, I really started to lose trust in my body and myself. So basically just as we started to try for baby number two, I had an abnormal pap smear result. And then I had a, um, colposcopy. I know basically they tested, um, some of the tissue and they realized that I had a high grade growth. So it wasn't cancerous, but it was high risk of being cancer if we didn't remove it. So I had to have a procedure called a let's procedure where they like um, burnt off some of my cervix to make sure that the high grade growth didn't turn into cancer. I remember being really, I think it's quite a standard, you know, surgery that happens to women, but I remember being really shocked and really, upset and really emotional about it especially because of the timing of it when the gynecologist told me oh well that means you've got to wait six months to try for another baby I felt really devastated I think because of my age um, and just that it had taken me so long to feel ready for another baby um, that when I got told well you've got to have this surgery and then you've got to wait six months I was like oh okay so and then after that, um, as many of you who will have listened to the episode Permission to Grieve would know, I then sadly had a miscarriage the um, December 2020, no, November 2020. So there's just been like, that. what happened was there was so many things that I think they're all really normal experiences for women, but um, when they happened to me and they all happened to me back to back, I really started to not trust myself. I started to have this really negative story. So having all of those things happen, um, you know, they were all out of my control, obviously, but there, there, there was a lot of loss there. Um, and I started to have this story, you know, that there was something wrong with me and that bad things were always happening. Um, and a lot of fear around, um, 
you know, would I be able to have a healthy baby, I guess? And, and would I be able to grow like a full size baby or would I have the growth restriction again? Um, I had been told contradictory things. I've been told by a midwife, well, just because you had this in uterine growth restriction with one baby doesn't mean you will with the next because um, you grow a completely new placenta. So it's like a, you know, it could be a one-off. And then I had um, the obstetrician who I saw when I had my miscarriage who I felt said quite a few inappropriate things to me, but she was like very negative about um, Emily's birth and like the chances of me having a physiological um, labor and all of those things so I had like contradictory information about what was possible for me so yeah when I got pregnant with Frankie uh, last year I think obviously there was a lot of anxiety um, there was like a lot of not wanting to get my hopes up um, for yeah you know that like anyone who's had a loss I guess um, when you're pregnant the next time it can feel like you can feel really vulnerable and really scared because you're way more aware of what what can happen um, but then also you know I didn't want to have another traumatic birth and I also um, wanted to like enjoy motherhood and like I don't know fall in love with it more this time and actually be happy and not not suffer you know so um I had to do a lot of work to build up a sense of trust and connection with my body with my mind um with my intuition and like almost to give myself permission to hope for the birth that I wanted and for the experience of motherhood that I wanted even though I was like, well, what if, you know, the same thing happens as last time? And so I remember I was working with a coach and we were doing um, some journaling and we were looking at like different stories that we wanted to change. And I realized like I was in that first trimester where you can feel like very, you know, tired and flat. And um, yeah, I think I was really, really nervous about having another miscarriage, but I was also um, noticing that I had this story about motherhood, that it's suffering and that, you know, I get left. I felt really unsupported the first time around. And so I had a story that I'm going to get left to deal with everything on my own. No one's going to support me. Um, I have to um, sacrifice everything. I have to give up my business. And I noticed like how miserable I felt when I had those stories running through my head. And so I was like, hang on. I can choose to have a different experience this time and I can take the action to make that possible as well. So I was like, you know what? Motherhood, I can be so supported that motherhood feels joyful and I can still have my business and be a an amazing mum. And so I just started like writing all these new stories out about um, motherhood and also about the birth that I wanted. And, um, yeah, that was kind of the moment that I started to trust myself. And instead of focusing on all the negative stories about the past and, and letting the past and what had happened, like completely, um, shape what was going to be this new experience. I was like, no, I'm actually going to make things different this time. Like, 
And like, I'm not someone who believes in magical thinking, by the way. Like, I don't think that if you just think to yourself, well, I'm going to have a physiological, amazing water birth that, um, that, you know, that that can happen. Like the reality is like, I was really, really well prepared for Amelie's birth, but there were things that just didn't go right in my body. Um, and so I don't believe that we have control just by what we think. I think that's a bit of magical thinking, but I do think that we can very strongly influence what happens by how we think about things and more by the choices we make. Like I started having conversations with my husband about how I wanted things to be different, how I wanted more support this time round, how I didn't want to be home on my own a lot with Bob. I find that really, really hard. I don't believe that women and mums are meant to be home on their own with babies all day. Like I just, for me, that wasn't good for my mental health. And I don't think maybe some mums love it, but I think a lot of mums find it hard and they find it lonely. So I started really talking about what I wanted and what I desired and then like researching, okay, well, how and problem solving, well, how can I get what I want? You know, how can I get that support? How can I make the experience look different? And that's one of the reasons I've decided to return to my business, but very like with very small hours to start with, because I realized like it's a part of me that gives me energy and it gives me joy. And so if I just tell myself like with Amelie, I was like, oh, well, good mums take a whole year off and they don't work. They spend their whole year with the baby and that's what I should do. But I wasn't actually happy for that whole year. Like I definitely enjoyed having that time with her, but there was a part of me that felt like quite unfulfilled. And I wish that I, if I'd had my business back then, I would have gone back to it much sooner. Uh, so yeah, I just decided and I started communicating. I started talking to people openly about my experience and what I didn't like first time around and what I wanted to be different um, it is so much easier to kind of plan your postpartum second time round because you understand a lot more like how demanding motherhood is, how time consuming breastfeeding is, um, all, all of those things. Although I also think I kind of forgot, forgot a little bit. Um, but yeah, so that's what I did. And I um, hired a beautiful doula. Shout out to Jessie. Um, who I feel like she changed, <laughs> changed the course of like my life and motherhood as well. Like, um, I actually met her at a retreat and I was in a really bad place. I just had my miscarriage and, um, I was like, why did I, I'd booked the day retreat like before I had the miscarriage and I was like, why am I here? Like, but um, I just found Jessie like really amazing and really supportive. And she, she does um, postpartum support. Like, so she supports you afterwards with adjusting to Bob and like um, nurturing you and taking care of you. But she also supports you through pregnancy and is there for labor. So I really, it was really hard to not go back to my previous doula because I adored her so much, but I really wanted someone that was going to be there for the whole journey. And, uh, it was talking to Jesse that I got the idea to get a private midwife because, because Emily was born on the second percentile, the family birth center where I had wanted to birth again, they, any baby that was born under the seventh percentile, you've got to have a medical review. And I just had a feeling that the system wasn't going to support me, um, that I'd have to jump through all these hoops and yeah, I, I just didn't want to have the same birth experience. So 
Jesse was like, why don't you look into private midwives? And um, I, I spoke to a private midwife and she was like, oh, I think it'd be a really good option for you. And then um, I like, <laughs> this is how determined I can be sometimes. I it's There's just a lack of private midwives in Perth and, you know, a lot of babies being born at the moment. And so I remember like I called every single private midwife and I was like about to give up. Like they were all, basically all of them were going to be on leave for like November, December. So they um, didn't want to take me on. And then I found Claire, my private midwife, and she was like, I'm pretty full, but I'll meet you for a coffee and see if we're a good fit. And then we met and we got on really, really well. So I had a private midwife. Already I started to feel like safer within my birth plan because Claire had like birthing rights at the at our public hospital, but she could also do a home birth. And so I knew if I had to be induced that Claire would be in charge, she would be my midwife. And what was really interesting was that she told me that I could still have a water birth and be induced and that she would just monitor bub with the doppelganger instead of the... Um, instead of all the other monitors and um that's against hospital policy but she this I'm not a medical professional but what I understood was that you know some of the policies that our hospitals have are not necessarily for medical reasons they're more because the hospital want to have those policies and given my experience with Emily that the monitor didn't work at all and it was actually causing me so much stress to me that made sense that okay if I get induced and I've got a midwife who's happy to let me in the water still then you know that's a good option but I so yeah I was too I was quite scared of home birth when I um, signed up to work with Claire and to work with Jessie. And I was like, okay, I want to work. I want a birth at King Eddie at, at the public hospital, um, but I want it to be a different experience. So that's where I started off with. But then Jessie and Claire both kind of planted the seed. They're like, you would actually be a really good candidate for home birth because um, you, you might have quite a fast labor of what happened with Emily um but we just had to monitor risk around baby's growth basically Claire was like I don't see you as high risk but we just have to monitor baby's growth as long as baby's growing well then um you know you could have a home home birth so uh that's where we were at with that um and so we did we did if there were a few like little medical things that I could do to like reduce the risk of the growth um being low growth then I also did acupuncture every Saturday because I'd heard that was really good. Um, I used to have what I would call an acu-nap. It was like a nap <laughs> during acupuncture, which was really relaxing. And what else? I did Pilates, water aerobics. I just tried really, really hard to take such good care of myself because I was like, right, I want my placenta to like have enough energy to grow bub full size you know go to go full term um and yeah i just want to give myself the best chance that i can to be able to have a physiological birth so that's what i they're all the things that i did um i i am quite a conservative person like i don't like to take really big risks and home birth wasn't something that i felt was like super on my radar um, but then it just kept coming up and the more I spoke to people, the more I realized I didn't really want to birth at the hospital after what had happened. 
that I felt like my body kind of contracted when I thought about going back there and that I, um, yeah, I just, if I could avoid it, it would be better for my mental health to not go to hospital. But I had this story that like home births are more dangerous and they're like taking, you're taking more risks and all of that. So it was really um, great. Jesse had like some research about home birth and I started doing my own research and I was like, oh, wow. Okay. As long as you're like low risk, you're like home birth has the same outcomes as hospital birth like in terms of risk and things like that. So yeah, even my mum, who initially I could see she was quite reluctant, quite maybe fearful around home birth. By the time we were really close to Frankie being born, she had like done her own research and had kind of come around to the idea as well. But it was hard because I had like um, someone in my extended family who used to be a medical professional was like super negative about my choice to have a home birth. And yeah, I had a lot of fear. So I did like a fear release ceremony with Jesse and I talked things out a lot. Um, I asked for the extra scans. I know a lot of mums don't want extra scans, but I was like, I want to know that Bubby's growing well. Uh, I'd rather know like sooner rather than later if I'm going to need medical intervention. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of fear and um, like... I just, it was again going back to like believing that just because this, you had this experience with your first birth doesn't mean that you're going to have the same experience this next time around. You've got a different support team. You've got more control over who's going to support you. Um, you're not going to have any strangers there, you know, so I, I had done everything I could, but I had to, um, you know, ultimately let myself trust myself. Uh, so Anyway, everything went, I'll go, let's go into the actual birth story now. Now, you know, all the background, um, basically, well, pregnancy went really, really well with Frankie and we did the extra scans. Um, and I went to the same lady for all of the scans and she was like, oh, you're going to have such a different birth this time because Frankie was on like the 80th percentile, um, whereas Emily was on the second percentile. We didn't know that though, obviously. But um, yeah, so she was her growth was really, really good. But I still had so much trouble believing that everything was going to go okay. Like it was almost like I was holding my breath, waiting for something to go wrong. Um, and that's just an example of how powerful our past experiences can be and how mindful we need to be, you know, to work through them and to, to try and keep staying in the present and allowing ourselves to have new experiences. So, um, yeah, she, her growth was great. There was a, a moment where I was really nervous because I think at 36 weeks we had the growth scan and they're like, oh yeah, she's on the 80th percentile, but by the way, she's breech. And so then I was like, well, they were, I was told, well, you need to go to hospital to birth her. And I was like quite nervous about that. Um, but then she turned around. I did all the spinning babies and went and saw a chiropractor and everything. So then, yeah, it was getting closer and closer to my due date and everything was going well. Our house renovation was still really delayed. I still had painters and builders in the house every day, which was kind of driving me crazy because I wanted to nest, but I couldn't. Um, but other than that, like everything was going well. Um, then the Monday before Frankie was born, Emily got gastro and ended up in hospital because she, we just couldn't get her to stop vomiting. 
And I remember, I think, um, oh, it must have been like 38, yeah, 38, 39 weeks. I was close and I, I had a feeling she was going to come soon. I remember going to the children's hospital thinking, okay, do not go into labor right now. You know, I just kept thinking that something was going to go wrong, you know, that I wouldn't um, get to birth at home. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to go into labor at the children's hospital. Um, but no, luckily, Emily was okay. We got discharged. We went home and um, she was still pretty sick for a couple of days and she was really sad. She was like, oh, I don't want my sister to come when I'm this sick. And I was like, oh, she'll wait for you. I know she will. Um, and so, yeah, then on the Thursday, I started to feel, um, contractions, but they were like, kind of, I thought they were just like more Braxton Hicks, like, you know, that there was like quite big gaps between them. And, um, it was funny because I had booked in an induction massage, uh, for uh, earlier the week in the week, but because Emily got sick, I canceled it. And then I woke up and I was like, I just have a feeling that she's coming really soon and that I won't get to have my nice massage if I don't organize it soon. So I messaged the lady that was going to give me this massage. I said, do you have any cancellations today? Because I have a feeling baby's coming soon. Uh, this is right. Like I, I realized I was like, I'm really, really tense because of like the stress of Emily being sick. Um, and so I want to just relax before I go into labor because I felt like really physically tense and I knew that that wouldn't be good for Frankie's birth. So yeah, I, um, I booked in like a induction massage for like two o'clock in the afternoon. I had acupuncture in the morning and she was like, Oh, I think she's going to come really soon. And I was like, yeah, I think so too. Um, it just felt like the, um, they were like more like proper contractions still really spread out, but just felt like something was happening. And yeah, then I went and had this induction massage and, um, that was amazing. It was like a combination of like reflexology, uh, what else we, um, she did like, uh, got me to like visualize the birth and she would like press really hard into like my legs and stuff. It was almost like I was having contraction. Like I was going to, oh, that really hurts. And she was like, imagine it's a contraction and you're breathing through it. Like it wasn't like a super relaxing massage, but I did come out of the massage feeling like really confident, really relaxed. And like, whoa, my contractions had like, were like really, really speeding up while I was in that massage. So I think I got home at like, um, maybe like four o'clock, but like they were still, my contractions were still really spread out. And like, I was like, ah, oh, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to go into labor properly until like later tonight. So I called my husband. I was like, oh yeah, the contractions are closer together. And he's like, I think I better come now. And I was like, oh, don't rush. Like, and I asked him to go and pick me up some donuts on the way home from work. But he's like, I think I should come now. Like, I think he just guessed um, something. So then um, he came home and by the time he got home, the contractions had started to really get intense. And my parents had just left because they'd been watching Emily and I was like having trouble, like Emily was asking for my help with something. And I was like having trouble concentrating because my contractions were coming on harder and faster. So we called Claire and we called Jessie and um, Claire was like, oh, because she lives quite far from me. So she's like, oh, I'll just come. I'll come slowly. Um, just take my time. But, you know, we don't want to leave it too late. And she told me to sit on the back of the <laughs> 
um, toilet seat, what she calls the birthing throne. I'm sure other people have heard that. And as soon as I did that, oh my gosh, my contractions just started getting really, really intense, really fast. Um, I was using the Thames machine again, but um, it was so different um, going into labor naturally compared to being induced. Like, uh, I think I found the contractions still quite painful, um, but they were so much more manageable because I had these really big, beautiful breaks in between, which I didn't have. Uh, and, um, yeah, so I think Claire arrived, Jesse arrived and I was kind of moving between the toilet where contractions were very intense and the shower, I was sitting on the fit ball in the shower. Um, and like all of the pain was in my lower back. So I was like getting Nick, <laughs> he's like a big rugby player and I was getting him to like fully press down on my lower back. And I found that like really, really relieving. Um, and we were all set up with a birthing pool at home. We had fairy lights, like it just felt magic. And it just felt like there were so many things that could have like, um, come along to kind of veer us off being able to birth at home, but none of them happened. And so I just remember like, even though I was in pain, I was also like, just so grateful and so relieved that it, it, it was actually happening. Um, but also this is where the mindset stuff came in because, because it wasn't, it didn't feel as hard. I started to think, Oh, maybe I'm not really in labor. And I also had this story like, Oh, I won't be able to handle a long labor because I've only ever had a short one. So there was still, um, moments of self-doubt which I think are very um normal in labor like I had like a, a crisis of confidence I was like oh I won't be able to do this like what was I thinking I should like I need to go to hospital I'm gonna you know need help and um so I did have like a lot of negative thoughts and I wanted to share that with you because I think self-trust doesn't mean that you 100% believe in yourself all the time and you never experience self-doubt I think it's that you have the bravery you have the courage to set your path to where you want to go, even though it feels scary and then you allow it to happen, you know? So it was kind of like, well, I'm birthing at home now. Like it's, it started, so I can't stop it. Um, and this is the other thing about self-trust. I think the other part of it is actually finding people who will support you when you start to, um, have those moments of self-doubt. And so, yeah, there were moments where I was like screaming out like, oh, I don't think I can do this. I need to go to the hospital. Um, I was asking my midwife to check me because I um, I was like, oh, I'm probably just exaggerating this. Like I'm not really in proper labor. Like, uh, you know, again, I, I have this story that I'm a wuss that I can't handle pain. And so I'm probably exaggerating labor. So I had like these crises of confidence and it was so amazing to have Jesse, my doula and Claire, my midwife, just, and Nick, my husband, just like hold me and like kind of almost hold me to my higher vision of myself that I could do the water birth and that I could birth at home. Um, when I was like ready to kind of give up, like I, I was like <laughs> deadly serious, like, Oh, I want to go to hospital or like, um, you know, I just had enough, like basically, um, but I remember, yeah, feeling like, oh, I'm probably not actually that far along, but, um, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm starting to feel a bit 
nervous and, and saying, oh, can I get in the pool yet? And Claire was like, yeah, you can get in the pool. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm not ready enough. But I was just so relaxed. Like I was sleeping and just zoning out in between contractions. And um, when I got in the water, I think I maybe got a little bit too relaxed. Like my contractions slowed down loads. And I was like apparently almost asleep in the pool. Um, it felt so nice in the water. And that was just my total dream, like to be in the water um, when I was having contractions. It's just what I always imagined because I am such a water baby. And my body just relaxed and kind of melted into the water. But yeah, I did, labor did slow down a lot in the water. So Claire was like, um, I think you should get out and I think you should not use the Thames machine and go and sit on the, the back of the toilet again. So facing the wall on the toilet seat. And um, oh gosh, that was kind of like mean, but clever because, whoa, the, it, everything just ramped up and um, it was intense. It was challenging. But then I was like, kind of like, I've had enough now. Um, I know so many women have done this. Like my mum said when she was about to give birth to me, she was like, I want to go home now. Like, I'm, I think I'm done now. I'm ready to go. And I remember <laughs> just saying, oh, I just want to go to sleep now. I've had enough now. Like, can we just put the labor on? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Um, but then Claire examined me and she's like, oh, yeah, you're ready to push. Like you're, um, yeah, you've definitely like um you know progressed enough so I got back in the water and started to push um the pushing was so so challenging like um just way harder than it was with Amelie's and I felt like I hadn't prepared I did like a lot of hypnobirthing like listening to hypnobirthing um tracks and stuff like that but I probably didn't do as much preparation as I did with Amelie because we were so distracted with the renovation and so yeah, retrospectively, I maybe could have prepared a little bit more for the pushing stage, but they, um, I was just pushing and I was, I felt like I was pushing really hard and it felt kind of wrong. It was like, you're, um, you need to push further and you need to, you know, um, keep going for longer, Sam. And I just felt like I wasn't making any progress and I started to panic a little bit. And by then the backup midwife had arrived cause they were like, oh, baby's really close. And she kind of had this look on her face when I was pushing and I was like, mm, and she said, Oh, I have a feeling this baby's going to be born sunny side up. So posterior. Uh, and I was like, Oh, does that mean it's like harder? And she was like, sometimes. And yeah, I could just feel like something wasn't quite right. Um, but also I've kind of thought to myself, well, I pushed out a really small baby last time and this baby's big. So I just have to deal with it. Like there was a, this, I think at this point I was like, I said, can I have some Panadol or something for the pain? Which was just, and everyone was like, I think it's a bit past that, Sam. And like, I, yes, I, I, I think I kind of lost a bit of um, control there. Like I was screaming. Um, it was quite primal scream, but at a certain point they were like, try and scream a bit lower because I was like actually screaming, like and hurting my throat. Um, and it, it was just, the pushing stage was hard. And so I remember thinking, oh, I should just, I want to go to hospital. Like, what if I need like help getting her out? Like, and, um, just feeling like a little bit scared and, but also just like, this is really hard. This is really painful. But then I thought, you know what, Sam, like you're here, no one's going to save you. Like the only person that can do this for you is you. So just push really, really hard. And that's what I did. I pushed 
really, really, really hard. And um, then baby Frankie was born and it was almost like, cause I was so focused on the pushing that I was like, I, I didn't even realize she was coming. I will um, share the little video on Instagram with you guys and do like a little short version of this. But um, yeah, I remember like that you can hear my midwife going, she's here, she's here, she's coming, she's coming. And like Nick caught her and put her on my chest. And um, then Emily was asleep with my, my mum was taking care of her in the room next door and we went and got her, they went and got her and she came and met her baby sister, um, which was a really special moment. Um, and then, yeah, we had all of the, um, trying to get the placenta out and everything, which was a bit of a, it took, it took a while and it wasn't super easy. Um, I did have some tearing, um, and yeah, like it, yeah, it was kind of obvious that I had pushed quite hard, I'd say, but, um, yeah, Frankie arrived and, um, yeah, the look on her face, um, and just placing her on my chest. It's just like the, yeah, that just such a beautiful, happy moment. Yeah. We've, we've just come out of like this beautiful month of, well, she's six weeks now, but we had like a full month, um, of just us being, um, together as a family of four, no visitors except for like my mum and my dad and my siblings to just help us out with meals and things like that. Um, and obviously my midwife and my doula. Um, but I feel like it's been the happiest month of my life, which, um, I never would have predicted myself to say that about, um, newborn baby life. Uh, is that cause I just struggled so much. And what's been really interesting is like not having a traumatic birth. Like I've kind of not thought about the birth that much except to feel like this real sense of gratitude, but I haven't felt preoccupied with it. I haven't been thinking about it a lot. Like I've just been really um, in love with Frankie and like kind of obsessed with her in like a really beautiful way. And um, Emily's obsessed and Nick is too. Like it's just been really, really special. It's definitely not been easy. You know, like the, the physical parts of postpartum are really like, you know, basically I got told I couldn't leave the bed for three days because the tearing was so um, severe. They said, act like you've had a C-section, no, you're not allowed to leave the bed, um, you know, like to try and help the tears recover. Yeah. Breastfeeding. I've had like a, a right, a cracked nipple on the right hand side for nearly the whole time. And I'm just recovering from like the worst bout of mastitis. So like physically, and also Nick, <laughs> we didn't get gastro luckily for Frankie's birth, but then Nick got it after she was born. And then I got like some kind of, um, milder version of it as well. So like it was physically challenging, but emotionally I, w- I felt so happy. Um, my cup felt so full and yeah, I just, fe- yeah, it all just felt a lot easier. And maybe that is just part of also being a mum for the second time. But I really think a lot of it came down to having a birth where I felt really safe, really, I trusted myself and I, um, and I also trusted my team. Like I knew no matter what happened that I trusted my midwife, um, and my doula and, and even Nick, like he knew a lot more what I needed. I, we even had a code word for like, if I had another medical professional that I really didn't like, I was going to say pineapple and he was going to ask them to leave and ask for a different staff member because with Emily's birth, I really wish that we had just said this midwife, like, isn't, um, we're not happy with it. Can we have someone else? But 
you know, when you're in labor, your brain just doesn't work that way. So you kind of need someone else to be looking out for you and to know that. So we, Jesse and Nick and I had this um, code word for if we were really, if I was really unhappy with someone. Um, so like, I just feel like, um, yeah, so grateful that I trusted myself and that I didn't let my past experience completely limit what I would allow myself to dream. Um, I think I was almost too scared to say out loud that I wanted a home birth because I didn't want to be disappointed. Um, but sometimes we have to risk disappointment to allow ourselves to hope for the best, you know, like I know that I still could have ended up with an induction or something else and it might have been traumatic, or but maybe it wouldn't have been this time because I would have had a good support team. So I honestly believe that... Um, our brains can get so caught up in the past and, and that, that can then limit our, um, our vision for the future. And I could have let that happen with, um, with Frankie's birth. And I could have just gone like, no, I'll just go like this and I'll just expect an induction. And I won't question the medical team when they say, you know, that, you know, because of Emily's growth that I shouldn't allow myself to try a natural birth and um you know so I think I'm so glad it's so worth it to risk you know to to trust yourself and to to risk disappointment even though it feels really vulnerable um because sometimes we do get what we hope for and we do get our dream birth um you know and um yeah for me it's just made all the difference to motherhood so I guess in terms of like um, how to trust yourself, I think there'll be, for me, this is just how I trust myself. Like there's like this, it'll be like this niggling thing that you keep, like you come back, you go, you think about it and then you're like, oh no, 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 that's not for me. Like I'm not the kind of woman who has a home birth. So like listen to those little niggles in your, in your belly, in your soul, wherever you, you notice them, you know, um, and if they keep coming and they keep coming, then maybe um, you might be telling yourself that it's not possible for you or it's not realistic, but maybe it actually is. And then once you've learned to trust yourself and you have bravely declared what you want, even though you're like, I think for a home, for me with home birth, I was scared that I wouldn't get it, but I was also scared that I would, you know, that I would end up birthing at home and, and how would that actually be? But so trust yourself to like, um, lean into the edges of what you actually truly want and then call in your support team so that you are surrounded by love and courage in those moments where you lose that trust, because we always, um, I don't think there's a human out there who doesn't need other humans every now and then. Like we, it's normal to lose trust with yourself sometimes or to not believe in yourself or to have those vulnerable moments where you just want to give in. And I feel like with Frankie's birth, I definitely had those. But when I was in that moment of fully trusting myself, I had employed Jesse as my doula and I had employed Claire as my midwife and I told my husband what I wanted. And so... I had those moments of self-doubt, but the past Sam had already put a support system in place for those moments. So that's why I think for anything that means a lot to you, like hiring a coach or hiring a doula or a support person or whatever is so, so important. 
And the, the biggest thing as well from my story is that I think I chose to have a different experience. I was like, and not just with the birth, not with, not just with labor, but with like postpartum, I was like, okay, I want support. We've, we're going to have a, like a home helper, like nanny coming in um, a couple of times a week to like help me around the house and to help me with Frankie while I run my business instead of me trying to be at home doing everything on my own. So there's like so many different choices and options and solutions available to you once you decide that you want to have a different experience. But first you have to decide. Um, And I know this was a long episode and it was really focused on my birth story. But I also think um, this applies to so many other parts of life like business. Um, You know, sometimes we feel really brave and like, yeah, I'm going to create this business and I'm going to launch this course. And then we have these moments of self-doubt. And that's why it's so important to have a coach or a friend or someone who's there to kind of hold you to that higher vision and to keep that, that version of you that trusted yourself to keep you coming back to them. So that's Frankie and mine's birth story. Um, I know this was a really long episode, so well done if you've made it to the end. I think this might be the longest episode I've ever done. And I feel like there's still so much more I could share around how I set up postpartum support, how I'm setting up my business. So um, if you uh, connect with me on socials and you've got any questions or any like follow-up episodes you want me to do, please send me through messages and I'm happy to chat. I'm also sharing Jessie and the beautiful Amelia, another amazing doula that I know really well's details in the show notes in case anyone is interested in working with a doula. They're both um, pretty popular. So definitely encourage you to book ahead with that kind of support. Um, But yeah, thank you for allowing me to share our birth story. I hope you loved listening as much as I loved telling it. And if you did love this episode or you just generally love this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you could leave a five-star review just to help me reach more people. And I will see you in the next episode. See you, beauties. Mm -hmm.